Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah thoughts, ideas, and messages in all of its wonderful parts and facets. Baruch Hashem, today this is easier than ever before. Please enjoy the following class and the rest of them on my podcast. And follow in order to receive updates daily. Also, please feel free to share this podcast with your friends, family, and neighbors so they could enjoy as well. Now let's move on and learn and grow together. Okay, let's get started. Today's daf, Maseches Gitin, is daf Yotes. Hashem, we're starting a new week. And uh, we're going to discuss today, we're starting the, towards the top of your test model. We're going to discuss today uh, two different subjects, really. The first subject we're going to discuss is the proper inks and materials you're allowed to use in terms of the production of gitin. They're special dyes. You're not allowed to just use any colorant or any dye. To use something, as we're going to see in the mission, it's Dover Hamiskayim, Dover Hamiskayim. It has to be something that's permanent, or Roshan, as they call it. Secondly, it also has to be certain uh, materials you write on. The second section of the day we're going to discuss is certain leniencies that were uh, given to documents if witnesses were perhaps not able to sign their own names, read before they signed, or they didn't know the content of it because it was a different language. So we'll discuss that as well. And then along the way, there will be other halachas that we discuss as well. So let's begin. Top of the Tesamud Aleph is Hashem. Let's get started from the Mishnah. Zog the Mishnah. About uh, six lines down, Yotesimut Aleph. Bakol Kaisfim. You're allowed to write with any sort of ink or dye. Bidiyoi. So the Mishnah says Bidiyoi. Bidiyoi is classic black ink. Bissam. Sam is a paint. We'll discuss in the Gemara exactly what it is. Bissikra. We'll see in the Gemara also what this is. The Gemara will go through each of these things. Ove kumus, as well as kumus. Kumus, I believe the Gemara is going to tell us, is tree sap. It's a type of gum that comes from trees. Ove kankantum. Kankantum is ferrous sulfate, which is a black material used, we're going to see in the Gemara, that they used to use for... Uh, copper sulfate. Copper sulfate? That's what it says there? That's what it says for kankantum? Okay. Copper sulfate. I guess you're right. Ferrous sulfate. No, copper sulfate sounds right. It's the material we're going to see. The Gemara says they used, and I learned Gitin when I was in twelfth grade. So I have some things written in from twelfth grade. <laughs> so I went over it, but you know, <laughs> we can count them. So kids are these are these are the inks that are acceptable to use. And the Mishnah concludes this by saying, kayama." Any ink that is effectively permanent—that's the point. It's interesting, because if I remember correctly, by Saito we learned the exact opposite. Right by Saito, we learned it can't be shell kayama. That's the right. We learned. Remember that we learned that. Yeah. This same idea. This Mishnah. We also learned Masechet Megillah. We talk about writing over the certain. We learned throughout Mishnayos when we talk about writing things over. What materials are acceptable? Not. It depends on the category. If it should be permanent or should not be permanent. So it needs to be erasable. Exactly. But this is the opposite that we get. It needs to be permanent. So. We'll see in the Gemara what this includes. 
Okay, now let's move on to the materials of the parchment. So, ain't kaisvin, uh, sorry, excuse me, before that. Ain't kaisvin loibe mashkin, you're not allowed to write with beverages, right? you can't write with orange soda. Veloibe may peris or fruit juices. Veloibe chal or anything that's not permanent. I mean, I guess theoretically you could dip the inkwell into orange juice, but that wouldn't remain permanently. It would fade away. It's not acceptable. Now, let's move to the materials of the ksa, of the, uh, Parchments. You could write on anything. Now, obviously, you could write on parchment. That's the classical get. But the Mishnah goes to the extreme to tell us even even what you're allowed to write on. You're allowed to write on an olive leaf, leaf of an olive tree. Now, Rashi throws in over here, it has to be where it was detached before you wrote on it. Because if it wasn't, we learned earlier that there would be a break between the writing and the giving. There's a kitsitsa then, and that's a problem, which we learned about earlier. We'll discuss more in the Gemara. But it could be written on a olive leaf, or it could be written on <coughs> the horn of a cow. Oh, write it on a horn of a cow. But the Mishnah says, If you write it on the horn of the cow, you give her the entire cow as the get. Very strange example. But halachically, it would be acceptable oh, according to Tanakama. What? Oh, severance package. Oh, severance package. Oh, that's a <laughs> very expensive get. Right? Forget about the ksuva. Right. Similarly, you could write it on the hand of an Evet Kenani, but then you have to give her the slave. You can't cut off the hand, so give her the slave, right? Now, this is according to the Tanakama. You can write on animals, you can write it on slaves. On, right? You can do Rabbi Yisak Lili argues, he says, First off, you can't write a get on something that has a spirit of life, something that's alive, it's vital, or on foods. So Rabbi Yisak Lili argues, the Gemara will explain what the Machlaikis really is, but clearly he's, he's limiting the capacity in a way that the Tanakhama doesn't, and we'll see in the Gemara. I think all the other examples are added just for the discussion. Mm. For sure. For sure it is, but also practically speaking, if somebody wrote it on a Karen Shalpara, it would be a Machlaikis, means we'll see. What's that? Well, it's a strange case, but again, we discuss the, sometimes the theoretical is practical, right? We have to know. Okay, Zach the Gemara. Let's go through what these things are, these different dyes. So, di, what is di? Is diuta. It's a black ink that was used. You're allowed to use that for getting. Sam is sama. I have written in here. It's orpiment. Orpiment is some sort of an ink that is uh, acceptable in uh, old French. Rashi, Rashi says it's a red ink. Seva ed adam. Shekavu shekairin minio. I don't know what that is, but orpiment. A reddish ink that's also permanent that's acceptable. We'll get more into this later. Sikra, what is Sikra? Amaraba Barbarchana Sikarta. Excuse me, I made a mistake. Sama Sama is orpiment. It's something else. Sikarta is this reddish ink. Sikarta, Rabbi Barchana says, Sikarta Shma is called Sikarta, which is a reddish ink. Kumus, what is Kumus? Kuma, it's tree sap or gum. Kankantum, and what is Kankantum? Amaraba Barbarchana, Amar Shmuel. It's the shoemaker's blackening. The shoemakers used to use these to blacken shoes, which is also called, I think you said it's called copper sulfate. Is that what you said it's called? Copper sulfate. Okay, apparently it was this type of a dye that was used by shoemakers. Okay. The Mishnah continued and said, you're allowed to use any dye that is permanent. What's that? In the, in, the, in the old French, right? Yeah, 
Obviously, it's coming to include something because we just made a list. So, what is that including? So, Rabbi Hanina taught what else is considered Miskayim. If you wrote with rainwater, very interesting. I wouldn't think that rainwater is Miskayim, but I guess if it was dirtied to some degree, it was able to be permanent. Rashi is another pshat in Meitaria which is it was water that they used to soak certain fruits in that would create a dye that was actually permanent. Ve'afatsa, or galnat juice, kosher, would be also acceptable. Galnat juice, we're going to learn about momentarily, was actually a liquid that was used. They would soak these galnats. I don't know what galnats are, but it's some sort of a fruit, I assume, that uh, they would soak, or not, they would soak in water, and then the emerging liquid would be used to treat ksav, actually. It was re- used to treat the parchment before they would write on it. So if you use that to write also, it would be acceptable because that's a permanent sort of dye. So therefore, these two things would be acceptable for Gitin as well. Tani Rabbi Chia. Rabbi Chia continues to teach. Kasvo ba'avar. If he wrote on the get with lead, and we're going to learn later it means with the lead mixture. It was a liquid made with lead, with ground up lead. So we have lead in pencils, but I don't know if that's, that's not really lead, right? What is actual graphite? Right, graphite. So if you wrote it with a lead mixture, meaning it was some sort of a soaked lead and water mixture, b'shachor, or with coal, you wrote it, get with coal, u'v'shichor, or shichor, shichor Rashi says is this charta de'ushchefi, is this blackening of the shoemaker that they used to use, like we said before. Kosher, in all these cases, is acceptable because those are considered permanent dyes as well. Itmar. So the Gemara tells us a very interesting halacha now. We know in Hilchas Shabbos, there are two types of Isurim when it comes to writing. We have the Isur of Ksiva, of, of Kosev, writing. And we also have the Isur of Mochek, or Mechika, of erasing. Now, in order to be Chaya for Mochek, for erasing, it has to be a Mechika in order to do Ksiva. It has to be an erasure that has intent to also write. So the Gemara is going to tell us now an interesting halacha. You have black ink and you have red ink. Okay, so in order to be chayef for ksiv, you have to write two letters. What if you write and then you rewrite on top of that with a different ink? So are you going to be chayef a for ksiva because you wrote again, and also are you going to be chayef for mechika because by writing on top of the prior writing, you're erasing the prior writing. So this is going to be a very interesting discussion, and it depends what color ink it is, as you can assume already that it will cause a certain level of erasure if it's darker or lighter. So let's see that inside now. And this will tie us back into this discussion about permanency. So itmar. Amavir al gabe sikra. If a person on Shabbos passes black ink over red ink, so meaning he wrote two, there was two letters of red ink that were written. And on top of that he wrote, mamish on top of it, he wrote black ink covering the same area of the red. Shabbos. So Rabbi Yechon and Rishlokish Dami Tarvayu. Rabbi Yechon and Rishlokish both say, Chayev Shtayim. He's Chayev two sets of Malkas, or two Korban Chattas. He's Chayev twice for Hilchas Shabbos. Why? Achas Mishum Kaisev. So one is because of Kaisev, meaning the black that he wrote on top is considered Ksiva. Achas Mishum Moichet. He's also liable because in writing the black on top of the red, he erased, because it covered up or erased, the prior writing, and therefore that's considered also a mechika in order to do ksiva, because in one action he's done mechika and ksiva simultaneous. So he's chayef two sets of malkas. Black on black. Oh, so hold on, let's see. So diyoy al gabi diyoy. However, what if it was black on black? So here, or sikra al gabi sikra, or it was red ink on top of red ink, potter. 
he's putter. Why is he putter? Because A, he's not doing a ksiva that's anything significant as nothing looks different. It's the same as it was before. And it's also not a mechika because it's the same thing that it was it's before. A putter for sure, it's asr, yeah. But but putter means he's exempt in Hilchah Shabbos, right? What's that? Not mutter, not mutter, right, right. Sikra al gabidiyah. What about red ink on black ink? So now what will be the halacha here? So amri lachayev, amri lapater. Some shaita said chayev, and some shaita said pater. Why? Amri lachayev, there are those who said he's chayev because moicheku. So they say like this it's true, the red ink doesn't entirely erase black because black will bleed through. I mean, it'll, you'll still see the black imprint. But it does nullify the black a little bit when you write red on top of it. That's considered mechika to some degree. So you're chayev because of mechika. Amri la pater, but there are those who say you're pater because that's considered mechal That's just damaging. A malacha that's not malacha that's productive, but that's just um, damaging or, or ruinous, that's not considered a malacha. So therefore, essentially what you're doing is you're just dulling the black, but it's not erasing the black. That's not considered mechika. That's just considered a mikalkel, a ruining of a prior deed, and that's not considered chayev for Shabbos. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. So now, Rishlokish Rish Lakish asked Rabbi Yechanan on this note, but back to Gittin. So that's a very interesting shayla. So you have you have the Ede Chasima standing there, and they need a sign. They don't know how to sign. They were illiterate. They never learned how to sign their name. So what you want to do is like this: you take some red ink, and you write their name, and then they'll just write over it in black ink. So what should be the halacha based on what we just learned? Should that be effective? It should be effect. No, forget about Shabbos. In terms of in terms of the Eidei Chasim, it's effective because we said in order to be chayiv for ksiva on Shabbos, black on red, you would be chayiv. I.e., what does that mean? That the black is considered a ksiva. So if you do the outline with red ink, you do it as the dayanim, whoever's there, and then the Eidim write over it in black ink, they're doing a ksiva. that should be the answer based on the halacha we just said. So the Gemara says, can you continue? So the Gemara says, Rish Lakish posed the question, Ksav Elyon Ksav, Oyeyna Ksav, is the upper writing considered a writing, or is it not considered a writing? Meaning the black ink that's about to go on top of the red, does that constitute its individual writing or not? So Amar Leir, B'yechanan said, Eyna Ksav. It's not an effective writing. So Rish Lakish said, one second. Amar Leir, Rish Lakish said, Rabbeinu, you just taught us, Rabbeinu, that you taught us regarding Shabbos that if you write black on top of red, you're chayef reksiva. So you see that it is considered a writing. So why is it by edim of the get? It wouldn't be considered writing. So He said basically like this. He said, when I was saying that it should be chayef reksiva and mechika, I was only saying logically you should be chayef. What Rashi explains over here is, but if this happened, Bismana bias, I wouldn't say he's Chayev a carbon to be brought into the Azara. I can't be lenient like that because that might be Chulim Ba'azara. Meaning, logically, it makes sense that's a Ksiva and you'd be liable in Hilchas Shabbos. But to Paskin that way, there's a difference between theoretical discussion and Psak Halacha. So Rebbechon was saying, I, I would imagine black on top of red is Ksiva to be liable for Shabbos. But in Psak and in practical law, I don't know if I would go that far in terms of bringing a carbon if there was a base on Mikdash as well as in terms of the Edim having an effective chasima on top of red inks. Because it seems logical to us that that would be considered a ksiva, nasa, maisa, could we do an action? Means he was saying in, in, in theory it makes sense that was a ksiva, but I wasn't poskining that way necessarily. Yeah.
could get someone that is like right. that. I mean, most people could today also. A lot of people weren't educated, perhaps, no? In, in a cross like in, in some situation, it doesn't, it's not good enough. Today. Oh. The we're going to learn later in the Masechta about that. There were certain people that they would sign, instead of signing their name, they would actually have a symbol. It's very interesting. We're going to learn later in the Masechta about that. Yeah. What's that? An animal, or I think one of the examples was the sale of a boat. There are different examples that we'll see. Itmar continues the Gemara. So now that we brought in this discussion, the Gemara is going to give us four other options. You have Adim there that want to sign, but they don't know how to sign. So the Gemara gives us four other eights now. So that's where the icons come from. Icons, that's right. Not the, 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 the emojis, the emojis, right. That was the first emojis back in the day. So Itmar, what are the, what are the, what's the other eights? That means what else could you do if the Eide Hasim are there? They don't know how to sign their name. What else could be done? So what four sheet is the Amaroim here? What could you do if the witnesses don't know how to sign? So Rav Amar, Rav's the first sheet that he says, and we learned this earlier actually, you can etch out with some sort of a metal implement in the paper or in the writing that you're doing, and then they can fill out essentially a stencil that you created on the paper with ink. So you take some, let's take a razor or something sharp, it doesn't have to be a razor, it could be even a pencil, but something that creates etch marks, and then they'll just fill it in with ink. Okay, thereby they're not, they don't know how to sign their name, but they know how to fill in ink. They could do a color by number, you know, they could do that. The Shmuel Amar, and Shmuel says the second advice, Ba'avar, that you can use lead, means you can write over it with lead, and then they can write on top of it with ink. So Gemara says, one second, Ba'avar Salka Daitach, can't be lead. We learned earlier, Va'atani Rebichia, Kasva Ba'avar, if you write a get with Avar, Bishachor, or with coal of a or with the black the black used by the uh, the, the what is it called the uh, shoemaker kosher it's acceptable so you see clearly avar is an effective form of writing and if it's an effective form of writing you can't write it out so that the aide can sign on top because then you've already written it so that wouldn't be effective so the gemara says like kashya not a problem haba avra haba mayada avra if you're using lead meaning not produced with, with liquids and made it to some sort of a dye, it's not considered permanent. So then if you would just write it out, it, it would be acceptable for the Adim to sign on it on top. That's what Shmuel is, that's what Shmuel is saying. When Rebichia was saying before that it's an effective ink to write a get with, that's where it's this product using lead as part of it. It's a liquid that they would use that was permanent, and <clears throat> that certainly would be a permanent sort of writing, and you wouldn't be allowed to use that for Adim to sign on top of. So those are two eights so far. Number three, Rabbi Avo Amar Bemei Milin. Rabbi Avo says, <coughs> sorry, you can use ground gallnuts. <coughs> now, <coughs> ground gallnuts, I don't know what it is either, but what I do know is the Gemara learns this is a sort of liquid or byproduct of gallnuts that they would use to treat parchment before they would use it for documentation purposes. Maybe it would darken the parchment to some degree. So the says the problem is to say you can use that and then aid him sign on top. We learned before one of the things that's acceptable is afatsa. You can actually write a get, meaning actually write it and have it signed like that. So you see clearly that's a permanent form of writing. How can you say you can use that as the premise for aid him to sign on top of? So the says again, there's two types here. Like Ha da'afetz, ha'delay afetz. 
general, like I said, documents were treated with gallnut juice. Now, if it's treated with gallnut juice, and then you go and write the aide's name on top of it, that's not exiva because it's already treated with that same material. So you might be able to see a slight outline of what you've just done. It would be like writing over an entire paper with pencil and then writing with pencil on top of it. Then the aide would be able to sign on what you just wrote. But if it was not treated and then you wrote right with the gallnut juice, that would be effective because now that's a permanent form of writing. Okay, yeah, perhaps, right, exactly, right. And the reason is because there's no such thing as meimilin on top of meimilin. means to put gallnut juice on gallnut juice, it doesn't work. So therefore, if the document was treated with it, you'd be allowed to write the outline of the Adam's name, and then they could sign it. And that's what Rabbi Avo was saying. Okay, that's three eights. Number four, if Papa Amar Barok, if Papa says... He says you can use saliva, meaning use saliva, it doesn't sound so hygienic, but use saliva right over the Adam's name, and then they'll write over that with ink. And Rav also taught Rav Tura, he was a short uh, ox handler, he said you can use saliva if the Adam don't know how to sign their name, and then they can write on top of that. Says the Gemara, the Hani Mili, however, this that we're saying, you're allowed to use this strategy for those who can't sign their name, that's only when it comes to Gitin, Begitin. Why? As we're going to learn later, Begitin, we're very lenient when it comes to Gitin in a certain way, because we don't want women to be stuck as Agunais, meaning if this gets not effective, maybe the husband is no longer around, maybe he won't give another get. So because of Aguna, we're lenient, and one of the things we allow is to sort of pre-write their names and have them write on top if they don't know how to write. Avil b'shtaris loy, when it comes to general documentation, we don't employ the same leniency for the Ere Hasima. How do we know that? Tahu avad uvda b'shtaris, because there was somebody that did the same idea by a general documentation, that they did, the Edom didn't know how to sign, and then they did one of these advice to create a signature before the Edom could sign on top of it. V'nagdei Rav Kahana, Rav Kahana gave him Malkus, because he said, by Shach Stars we don't do this, meaning it's only a leniency to be used by Gittin. Oh, we're saying it's more important in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what we're saying is more important in a certain way, right? Because she, she, we don't want her to get stuck. Exactly. Right. Right. Hundred percent. Turning to the Testament base now, Tanya Kavase de Rav. So we have a Bryce that supports Rav. Rav was the one who said the Eitzah to do is to etch out a certain area and have the witnesses fill it in with ink. So what does the Brisa say? Edim she'en yoidin lachdom. We actually quoted this early in the Masechta on Tess. Witnesses that don't know how to sign their name. So the Brisa says very clearly, like Rav mekaren lahem niar cholak. You etch out the area of on the paper umemaalim es hakaroyim, and then you fill out the karoyim dr. You fill out the uh, etched area with ink. The witnesses can do that, and that's effective as a signature. Amar Rav Shimon Gamliel. Rav Shimon Gamliel argues, and he says, When is this acceptable? Begite Nashim. Specifically, again, regarding Gite Nashim, but regarding documents of emancipation of slaves and general documents, if the witnesses know how to read the document and to sign their name, 
Chaismin, then they could sign their name. The Imlav, if they don't know how to read it and sign their name, Ein Chaismin, they cannot sign their name. So the Gemara immediately interjects and says, it's a good Raya, like Rav, that the advice to use for witnesses who don't know how to sign is by etching. Beautiful. But what is Rav Shemim Gamil saying? He says, if they know how to read and sign their name. Tanakama said nothing about being able to read the document. Kriya Mandechar Shema. Who mentioned about uh, reading? So the Gemara explains, Really, the Tanakama said two chidushim. There were two statements in the Tanakama. Number one, If witnesses don't know how to read it, so they need a sign on it, but they don't know how to read it, so they don't know necessarily what it says. So when the Tanakama says like this, first off, you can actually read the document to them, and then they could sign. That's one chidush. And two, if they don't know how to sign, so you can etch out an area and have them fill it in. And on that, that's only true by general by a women's divorce documents, but by slaves' emancipation documents, or general documentation, it's only if they know how to read it and to sign it properly that they are able to, and if not, they cannot sign it. Asks the Gemara, Amr Abulazar, my time is Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. What is the reasoning of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel? Why is it that he says this leniency, you can read it to the Edim, you can carve out an area for the Edim, is only applicable by Gite Nashim and not other documents? So we already said this, but the Gemara says, Rabbi Lazar says, Shalom Yehu Benais Yisrael Agunais. It's an order that Jewish girls should not be stuck without being able to remarry. This seems to be something that we find comes up again and again in the Masechta, that Chazal went out to extend, extended lengths in order to make sure if girls needed to be divorced, they were divorced. They didn't want women to get stuck. The husband goes overseas, changes his mind, she stays in a difficult situation. What's that? Extract money, right? It's extortion, right? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Amar Rav, Rav says, These eitzes, to read it to them, to carve out the names of the signatures, of the signers, that's only, it's like Rav Shem Gamliel, it's only by Gitin and not by other documents. Rav Gamda Mishmei de Rav, Amar Ein Alacha, Rav Gamda, the name of Rav, said it's not like Rav Shem Gamliel, this is, this is applicable to general documentation. Asks the Gemara of Elikiman, but according to Rav Gamda, who will we pass in Karabanan? Like the Rabbanan, that it's by all documents you can use these leniencies. The problem is, we had a story at the end of the last Amud, we said somebody carved out the names of the Adam who weren't able to do so because they didn't know how to, and we said Rav Kana gave Malka. So you see, you're not allowed to do such a thing by general documents. So Targum Gemara explains, no, when Raganda says the halacha is like the Rabbanon Akriya, he's talking about the first leniency. The first leniency was that if they didn't know what the document says they couldn't read, you could read it to them. Very Paskins like the Rabbanon, you can rely on that leniency. But to fill in an area for them to sign, he does not Paskin like the Rabbanon actually. You can't do that by general documents. Okay, let's go on to a few examples now. So Rav Yehuda, the Gemara tells us, Rav Yehuda Mitzta'er, when Rav Yehuda was older, it was difficult for him to read, I guess read the fine print. But if he was going to act as a judge or as a witness, he wanted to make sure he knew what it said. So what he used to do was, he would be Mitzta'er Kari Vechassin. He would uh, afflict himself, he would uh, pain himself and push himself in order to read it on his own and then only then sign it. So Amrle Ula Ula said to Rav Yehuda, you don't need to. Because Rabbi Lezer, who was the master of Eretz Yisrael, Rashi says he was a bucky more than any of his friends. He was the, the leader of Eretz Yisrael. 
Right? They would read the document in front of him, and then he would sign on it. So you don't have to push yourself in order to do this. And also, Rav Nachman, the Safri Dedaini, the Sofrim that were there in front of the judges, would also read it, and then he would be able to sign it. So the Gemara says, but Rav Nachman was unique. Why was Rav Nachman unique? So Rav Nachman held a duality, a dual position. Rashi explains over here. There were two reasons that he was unique. We'll see him, as well as the Safri Dedaini that he used. The Dafgar of Nachman, the Safri Dedaini, first of all, it's, it's specifically of Nachman that he could rely on this leniency, that they would read him the document, they wouldn't read it on his own, and then he'd be able to sign it. So it was specifically because he was Rav Nachman, Rashi explains, Rav Nachman was, um, one second, he was appointed by the Reish Galusa, so he had a specific position appointed by the leader of the exile, as well as he was the son-in-law of the Nasi. So if Nachman was held in great esteem, people wouldn't read him something that was incorrect. They weren't going to mess with him like that. And secondly, they also had the Safar Dedaini. They had these professional Sofrim that were doing it, so they also knew, we're not going to mess around with this Rav Nachman. They had awe of Rav Nachman. They weren't going to read something that was inaccurate. But if it was Rav Nachman and other general scribes, or Safri Dedaini Vinishachrini, if it was professional scribes, but it was someone else, not Rav Nachman, who was held in such an esteem and awe, we can't rely on them reading it to such a person because maybe they would fudge the facts and then we wouldn't know necessarily that he's signing on the right thing. So the Gemara tells us, Rav Papa, when they would bring in front of him a document that was written in Persian, that was done in the Erkois Shel Kusim. It was produced and signed in the uh, non-Jewish courts. So Rashi explains over here, yeah, meaning the Goyim had signed in it and it was processed in their courts. So when there's such a document to come in front of uh, Rav Papa, Makri Kusim, he would call two, he would have it read by two Kusim, two Goyim, one not in front of the other, meaning he would pull one guy in and say, read me what this document says. He'd pull another one in and do the same thing. Now why would he do that? Because what that accomplishes is the Mesiach Lefitumai. That is that they're speaking in innocence. What do you mean speaking in innocence? So there is a halachic Reliance. This comes up in different places. Also comes up in Basar B'chalav. It comes up in different places that if somebody says something who's not necessarily a reliable witness, but he says it in a totally innocent way, he doesn't realize you're utilizing him for some sort of a testimony or you're utilizing him for some sort of a, a psak. It's acceptable. Why is it acceptable? Because you can assume that he's telling the truth. There's no reason he would lie. And then, abdi. You would even, he even you would use this document to collect from Mishu'abadim, from, from properties that had been sold off by the borrower, etc. Why would he be allowed to do that? Because once it's considered... We learned earlier you could actually have documents produced through the non-Jewish courts. We learned why that was, either Dina de Malchus Dina, or it's a proof. We learned different reasons why that was. And as long as you know that it's accurate as what it says, he would even be able to collect from Meshua Badim. Amr Ravashi, Ravashi continues, Amr Li Ravuna Barnasan, Ravuna Barnasan told me, Hachi Amr Amemar, this is what Amemar said, Haishtara Parsa, a document that's written in Persian. Now here it means it's written in the language Persian, that's, that's what it means over here. De Chasimi Alei Sahadi Yisrael, that it was written, uh, it was signed, excuse me, and written by Jewish people. So, Magbinan Beimi Mish Abdi, you'd be allowed to collect 
from the, with this document from Mishuabadim, from properties that were even sold off. Asks the Gemara of Aholayadila Mikri, but they don't know how to read it. Means, Lechaira, the people that signed on it, if it's written in Persian, they don't know Persian. So, how do they know what it says that they were able to sign on it? They know what it says in Achinami. But one second, one of the conditions of a proper document is that it has to be a ksav, a writing that's not forgeable. They used to treat it with a certain material, a certain ink that would make it not forgeable. But the Persians wouldn't necessarily do that. It was treated with that juice anyway. But you need that in a document for it to be effective to review the main facts at the end of the last line. And Veleka, and they don't do that. They did that as well. So the Gemara says, Well, then what's your Chiddush? This is totally done by with all the halachas of a proper Jewish document. So what's the Chiddush? That you can write a document in a different language? Tanina, we learned that elsewhere. The Mishnah tells us, It's a document that's written in Ivris. And its witnesses are Greek, written in Greek. Or Yavanis, it's written in Greek, the aid of Ivris. And its signers are written in Ivris. Kosher. So we know it could be done in a foreign language. So then what's your Chiddush? The Gemara says, If you only had that case, I would have said, Maybe it's only true by Gitin. Because Gitin were lenient because of Iguna. But by general documentation, written in a foreign language, maybe it's not acceptable. Kamash Malan, general documents written in a foreign language, assuming it has all the halachas of kashras, could also be collected from Mishra Abadim, it's not a problem. Rashi just throws in here, it's important to note, we had a similar case earlier, it was written in Persian, and there, it wasn't collected from Mishra Abadim, only from B'nai Chayrin, from free properties. So we explained, that's because that was written not by professional judges, that was written by amateur judges. So you don't have the same leniencies then, like we're discussing now. Continues the Gemara, Amar Shmuel, Nasan La, so Shmuel says a Chiddush now, Looks like this. Let's say you have a guy, <clears throat> he gives to his wife, Rashi learns over here, it doesn't mean paper or, or parchment, but he gave her niyar. Niyar is, I think it's in English it's called papyrus, which is a, it's a paper made out of grasses, essentially. Plant. What's that? Plant. Plant. It's a plant-type paper, exactly. So, Amar Shmuel, if he gave her a blank piece of niyar, a blank piece of this paper. V'amrlan, he said to her, this is your get. I mean, it's blank. Of course it's not a get. But Zak Shmuel, Meguresh, as she is divorced, because we're concerned, maybe he wrote in it the proper wording with Meimilin, with his gallnut juice. And Meimilin becomes absorbed into the paper, and therefore you can't see it right now, but it really was there, and therefore she's divorced. So the Gemara says one second. That's a Chiddush, by the way. We don't see anything after the fact, but yet we're saying it might have been written. This is like you know, magic marker. Invisible yeah, invisible, invisible ink. ink, magic marker the kids use. You write it, you don't see anything, and then it comes out after. And the point is over here. Sign a check. Yeah, sign a check. <laughs> Go right. to the bank, it's not there anymore. Right. You need a special light. You know, they have like the <laughs> UV. is only $10. Hmm? Exactly right. So this is Gemara. So Shmuel says we're concerned. Maybe it was written with that ink that became absorbed, the Meimilin, and that's why she should be divorced. Asks the Gemara, Meisave. But the Kasha is, we have a Tosefta that says that's false. And we're going to say a Chiddush in the Tosefta, but the Chiddush implies that this case is not really going to be divorced because the, the Tosefta says, If somebody says, here is your get, he says to his wife, here is your get, and she wasn't having any of it, so she took the get and she threw it into the sea. 
or or into the fire, or any way that it was destroyed. The point is we can't look at it now. So we don't know. She wasn't happy with it. But the point is, we don't know what it said. We don't know what happened. So the Chazer Va'amar, and then the husband went that back and he said, Shtar Pasim Hu. That wasn't really a get, it was a Shtar Pasim. Or Shtar Amana Hu, it was a Shtar Amana. Rashi explains, Shtar Pasim is a document of appeasement. That <clears throat> if somebody wanted to look wealthy, so what he would do is, he would tell his friend, would you mind if I make up a document that says, you owe me $2 million? Now, you don't really owe me $2 million, and I'm not going to take the money from you because we're friends. You could trust me. I'm only doing it so that if somebody comes by my house and I'm looking for some sort of a benefit, he'll look, wow, this guy's wealthy. He has credit of $2 million. So that's a shtar pasim. Shtar amana is where you write up a document that implies there was a loan, even though there wasn't a loan. Which means, if you really trust somebody, and at a later point he wants to lend money or borrow money, you can have a document written up that says, Yanko borrowed uh, $100,000 from it, even though it wasn't borrowed yet. But they're not effective get, uh, documents. That's the point. So the point is the husband turns afterwards, after it was destroyed, and he says, that was just a shtar pasim or shtar amana. Those weren't, it, it, it wasn't even a get. She's not even divorced. We don't know, we, how, do we, how do we clarify? She threw it in the fire. She threw it in the fire. And that's what do we do? So the, the, the Bryce the Tosefta tells us, Megureshes, she is still considered divorced. Veloi koli menu la he doesn't have the ability to prohibit her from remarrying. Meaning, the moment we saw that he gave her a get, a document, and we saw there was something written inside of that, we saw that apparently. We saw that there were words. He can't come well, back after. We saw that. We saw, apparently we saw. There was, well, we don't know no, what it said, but we saw that there were words of sort. Like you said, a fake financial <clears throat> statement. You know? So he claims after yeah. it was destroyed yeah. that it was some sort of a fake document. Yeah. He doesn't have the ability to. But what's the Gemara's point? Time of the Ikaksav. The reason that Tosefta says this is effective and she's considered divorced is because we saw there was at least some writing in it. Halekaksav. <clears throat> But if we didn't see any writing, means we saw a blank document, lie. The implication of the Tosefta by saying the greater Chiddush. The Chiddush is, is that if you saw there was writing, even though he's claiming it wasn't the Gittin type writing, she's still divorced. Awesome. The implication is that the case of Shmuel that we said above where it was blank is not considered divorce because if that was, the Tosefta should have said, even if it was blank and he assumed, we could assume that it was considered divorced. So the Gemara answers, Kika Amar Shmuel, no. Shmuel in a If we didn't know that it was a document of get, and he turned around and it was blank, and he said it wasn't, we would not be able to say that was considered a get. Shmuel says that it was con it's considered a divorce. Debadkinanlebemayadinara. Talk about magic marker. Is that we check it with mayadinara? I don't know what this is. What does Art Scroll translate mayadinara as? Some sort of an ink that they could use to check what. No, no, what's, no, but what's Maya Dinara? What, what does the art school translate that as, Maya Dinara? It's some sort of a, an ink that they would put on a document that would bring out the hidden writing inside of it. I don't know what it's called in English. But the point is, if they checked it, that's what Shmuel's talking about, is that they checked the document afterwards. e it, pull it. If it emerged, it emerged. Meaning, then we would say, okay, this is a real get. If it didn't emerge, so then that's nothing. So that's what Shmuel was talking about. If it was just a blank document and there's nothing there, Shmuel would say she's not divorced. Until he says, I don't know. But if we check it with this and it emerges, then Shmuel says that would be considered a divorce. That's what Shmuel Violet dye. Violet dye? Like the color? Very interesting. Okay. So you see the first. Uh, so we apply the dye to the blank paper and the dye will bring. 
It's fascinating. You see, this is the the first um, the first arts and crafts projects in history. So the Gemara says, one second, but my have. Even if it emerges, what does that accomplish? Hashtahu de The Kash of the Gemara says is, I, I don't get it. Shmuel said she's divorced, but it doesn't make sense because if you check it now, now it emerged. But what divorces her? The writing in the document. When he gave it to her, it wasn't there. You want to say it was hidden? That doesn't help you. You need the words in the document to divorce her. So the Gemara answers, Shmuel nami chashinan ka'amar. Shmuel wasn't saying she's certainly divorced. Shmuel was saying, we're concerned. What do you mean we're concerned? We're concerned maybe at the time that he threw it to her, it hadn't entirely erased. It hadn't entirely been absorbed. So therefore, it's a chashash, it's a concern. Since it's a concern, Rashi learns, if the husband would drop dead, we would have to go lahachmir. We wouldn't allow yibum, and we wouldn't allow her to marry a kohen, but it's not that we would certainly say she's divorced, it would just be a concern misafik. Okay, Amar Avina, we're holding uh, three lines above the wide lines. Amar Avina, Amar Lia Meymar, said to me, Hachi Amar Meymar Mishmeidur Avdimi, so said Meymar in the name of Avdimi, Hani Beit Shred, Yoav Gita Kamayu, if you have two Ede Mesira, that the get was given in front of them, Tzrichi Lemikriya, they have to read it. Means they have to read it before it's given, so they're aware of the details. Frag the Gemara, but we have a brisa earlier. If the husband says, "Here is your get," and he throws it to her, and then um, he gives it to her, she takes it and she throws it into the seal or or into the fire. Or in any sort of destructive thing, and you don't know what it says now. And then the husband goes back and doubles that back, and he says, This wasn't a real get; it was a shtar pasim or a shtar amana. Nigoresh says she is considered divorced. His words are not effective to remove her from being divorced as was initially understood. Says the Gemara, but one second, but if you say the Edi Mesira need to read the get before it's given in order for it to be effective, so Basar de Karyu, it has to be that they read it. Once they've read it, how could the husband claim that it wasn't the get? Then it would come out, obviously, that it was a get. So the Brysa seems to imply that they don't need to read it because if they did, then this case doesn't exist. So the Gemara says, Loi, the case does exist. Tzricha would be necessary to Basar de Karyua, Aili Lebe after the Edi Mesira read it, he put it into his sleeve. He put it under his garment, and then he removed it. So, what, what could you possibly say? Maybe you'd say is that he swapped it out. You'd say that he put the get into his garment, and then he took something else out. And then there's no Shiloh, this shouldn't be considered divorce at all, because if there's a Chashash, that it's a different document, how do you know it's a get altogether? Kamash Malan, you don't have to assume that he swapped it out, and even if he says later it wasn't a get, it's still going to be effective. The Gemara tells us a story. A person threw the get for his wife between barrels. Now, it was in her Rishos, in her property, so her courtyard would acquire it for her, and she'd be divorced. But then, <coughs> after the fact, <coughs> they found mezuzais in that area. And now the problem was, they didn't know if she was divorced, because maybe he didn't throw a get altogether. <coughs> maybe it was a mezuzah <coughs> that they had found. So he said, that it's not common to find mezuzais amongst the barrels. Mistama, that's what the husband threw there, and she's not considered divorced. That's only if you found only one of these mezuzahs.
you could assume that's what the husband threw and she's not divorced. But if you found two or three of them, so the fact that two or three of them are there, the rest of them are there as well. Meaning you could assume that it happened to be mezuzahs were there, but not that that's what the husband threw. Really, the husband threw the get, and I, the get, is not here. And in terms of the get, you could assume that a mouse took it away. Meaning, if you find multiple mezuzahs, that you could assume for whatever reason, somebody was storing them there, but that's not what the husband threw. He really threw the get. It just happened to be it was whisked away by a mouse, and therefore she would be considered divorced. Lechor, this is misafik, though, so you would have this issue of being machmer on both sides. Continues the Gemara who gavred the Allah a person went up to a Beis HaKnesses. Shuk al-Sefer Torah. He took a Sefer Torah, Yav al-Advisu, and he gave it to his wife, Amrla, and he said, Hagitech, this is your get. So he took a Sefer Torah and he said, here's your get to his wife. Amr of Yosef, Well, what are you concerned about? It means what could potentially be a reason that this would be a divorce? Maybe you'll say is, Rashi explains, very interesting. Maybe he wrote on the back side of the Sefer Torah's parchment with Meimilin, with uh, this gallnut juice, and maybe that's considered a ksav, and then he gave it to her. So the Gemara says, Ein Meimilin al-Gabi Meimilin, but that wouldn't be effective because we said earlier, you can't write with Meimilin, with gallnut juice on top of gallnut juice, and since the Sefer Torah is entirely treated with that, it's not considered a ksav in the first place. Turning to Chafamud Aleph, Imishum Krisus, the ispa, maybe you'll say he's relying on the sefer, the part of the sefer Torah that discusses divorce, and that's what he means to say. I'm divorcing you with the writing in the sefer Torah that says uh, he'll send the, uh, his wife from his house because of lo sefer krisis, etc. The problem is you can't rely on that. That's not an effective ksiva because it has to be written for her sake, and it's not written for her sake. That was written to be a sefer Torah. So maybe he'll say when the when the sofer originally wrote the sefer Torah, he gave money to the sofer and he said, "Have in mind my wife that this this sefer Torah should double as a get." So the problem is, but you need the concept of shina ira that we're going to learn later if the name. His name, her name, or the city's names are changed, it's not going to be an effective get. Rashi learns, by implication that means, you need to have these names and, and cities written in. And you don't have that written in, Vileka, so therefore there's no, there's no concern here at all that this should be an effective divorce. Asks the Gemara of Rav Yosef, my Kamashman, what's the Chiddush of Rav Yosef? means a Pashid. Sefer Torah is not an effective divorce contract. The Gemara answers, She'en me'milin, al-gabi me'milin. It's really the aside we learned earlier, which is that you can't write gallnut juice on gallnut juice, and therefore since the Sefer Torah is treated with that material, such a writing would not be an effective ksav to have her divorced with, and therefore such a Sefer Torah, you wouldn't have any chashash that she'd be divorced. We're stopping here at the top of Chaf Mod Aleph. Be'ezer Hashem will pick up tomorrow with Daf Chaf. Everybody have a wonderful day.